boils and ghouls. It's time to gather round us, horrifying hunter, petrified Preston, and devilish Dan. Crack open another cursed volume of tales from the crypt. This is Horrors from the Vault. <laughs> Welcome, kitties, to Horrors from the Vault. My name is Horrifying Hunter, and I'll be one of the three shadowy figures leading you into the vault. Tonight, we're cracking open our third tome, Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. This little drama is about one of life's unexpected pleasures. Dying, that is. Most of us only get to do it once, and it's all over before you can really enjoy it. But one man did get to die again, and he liked it so much, he started doing it for a living. But before we can go down fully into the vault, let me introduce you to my co-hosts, cohorts, spooky men of the night, little Yoda men. What's going on, Petrified Preston? I had to be the little Yoda guy. I mean, I, I knew where that was going. Oh, you both are. Yeah, no, no, you both fair, are. All right, fair we're enough. All, we're all decently sized men, at least height-wise. <laughs> we're, we're all... You know, with circumference is a, a different story between all three of us. However, height-wise, <laughs> we're, we're not really Little Yoda men, but I'm going to keep being a Little Yoda man. Anyways. Well, well, knowingly, you're the only one that, that has the Little Yoda man in their home. So, you know, That's there's weird. that. There's that. Um, no, man, super, super happy to be back. Man, episode three already. Hard to believe after this one, we're going to be... Halfway through the first season, fellas, where's the time going? Um, this is a really great episode and a great uh, version of the story in the comic as well. So, yeah, let's get into this. Super excited to talk about this one because I'm going to go ahead and spoil a slight surprise. I am a cat guy. I love my kitties. I have a precious little one named Leota. She's loving my life. She's adorable. So cat content is good for me. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, before I keep talking about my pussy pleasures, uh, <laughs> Devilish Dan, <laughs> how's your pussy pleasures go? <laughs> you know, I do love my cat. He's great. He's old as fuck. He's like 17 years old. And every day for the last week, he shat on the floor. Uh, we've been battling this for about a year now, and oh. it goes in waves. Uh, sometimes they'll use the box. The vet says that they don't do it because of spite. I say that he uh, is doing it because of spite. Um, but yeah, we've invested in lots of uh, things to clean up poop off of our ground. Uh, also, if anyone is Star Wars characters, Preston is a battle droid. I am probably a Hoth Wampa. And Hunter, you're like a like the mutant uh, Ewok. Oh, uh, oh, that's that. scary Ewok. Yeah, like a big Ewok, like giant Ewok. Wouldn't I just be a Wookiee in that case? No, because Wookiees aren't quite as cute. And you're adorable. Oh, 
Thank you, baby. I appreciate like a, that. Like, like Wicket with his little hat on. Not the guy with the bones on his head. But well, he, we are a part of uh, the Neo Zez podcast network, so I need to hop on over and ask Matt and the rest of the guys at Star Wars and Character, what is the most freakishly tall Ewok? They could probably <laughs> tell me. I want to... Maybe maybe he plays those drums, and that's why he's got to sit down, because he's just freakishly huge compared to the rest of them. We'll find they out. Eat, they eat people. I know. You don't, you don't realize when you're a child that they're they're just going to cook, you know, and kill Han and Luke and everybody. But and and then as you get older, you realize no, they're going to cook and eat those people. That's pretty <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> it is fucked up. And hey, like I said at the top, I'm horrifying Hunter. And tonight, like I said, we're talking about episode three, finishing up the first broadcast night of Tales from the Crypt. We're talking about dig that cat. He's real gone. Man, this is a uh, hair-raising episode, and uh, hey, we're going to talk about it, but I like this one. So, we'll get into it, but hey, before we can do that, Preston, why don't you tell me all about the comic inspiration for Dig That Cat? Hey man, you know what time it is. I'm going to tell you enough, but you know, I don't want to get too big into things, because uh, we got a lot to discuss on this episode, and... Yes, this comic lines up very well with the episode itself. Yeah, we're going back to September of 1953, gang. Dig that cat. He's real gone. Featured in the Haunt of Fear number 21. So yeah, jumping over to the Haunt of Fear for this one. This is just an incredible story. I mean, I, I don't want to keep repeating myself on these episodes, but these comics, man, they never cease to amaze me. Coming out in the 50s and the stories they were able to tell in such a condensed amount of, of time and, and, frankly, space, right? Like I said, this one lines up so well with the episode itself. I mean, kind of previous you know, to our last episode, it's very similar where, yes, there are some little added things for drama and whatnot and some, and some extra tension here and there, but... Really, really quite in line. Um, love the art in this story um, and just love the kind of conciseness of it, how quickly it gets into things. And yeah, this is this is a great one, guys. I don't know how you felt about this one in particular, and I know we'll get into the episode um, once we get past the comic version here, but I was really impressed with this with the story and I and I love, let me say I love the ultimate twist that you know is coming at some point because hey this is tales from the crypt after all i will say that this one out of the three that we've seen so far you can tell the difference of what you can do with a tv budget versus a comic book budget a lot more <laughs> because the deaths in the comic version are much more large much more elaborate yeah i could see that uh, and that's the one thing i kind of wish that maybe this one had come further into the series when each episode got a larger budget but hey it is what it is this is one where i like the comic just fine but i actually think the episode is an overall improvement of this mm. story um I think that it's just got a little bit of that extra flair that you can do within, you know, you're talking about budgets here, Dan, but specifically you said differences between, you know, a printed medium versus a, a film or a motion medium. I think that they really take advantage of all of it. And yes, while you have endless, you know, scapes that you can make with a pen and paper, 
I, I think that the episode gets a little bit of a leg up for me. And while the other episode or excuse me, while the other issues have been consistent and good and definitely in line with the episodes that uh, came from them or were inspired by them, I, I think with this one, I'm so familiar with the episode. I, I prefer it in a lot of ways, um, even though, you know, a lot of the underlying stuff is very, very similar. Man, this was one for me that I know I've seen this episode before, but it has been a while and it, it didn't come to me right away when I was reading this comic. So it almost felt like I was kind of getting this story for the first time. And um, man, just how efficient these are is really uh, is really crazy to me. And yeah, this one's uh, this was just an incredibly unique story. I mean, all together. I, and I, I just love that. Yeah, efficient's a good word for both the comic and the show because in this yeah. age of streaming, when everyone's used to you know at minimum forty five minutes to an hour <laughs> of an episode, and you know if you're Stranger Things, sometimes it's ninety minutes or even more. Uh, quick half hour, twenty minutes in and out, and I can actually watch two episodes a night and take notes and watch them multiple times and not feel like I'm wasting my time rewatching the same thing over and over again. It's great. What, um, you know, on the last episode, we talked specifically about how great the art was for the comic. Did you guys feel that this was one of the, the real standouts in that department as well? Or was it a little bit of a transition between the two? Dan, you go ahead. This one didn't hit quite as hard for me, and I'm not sure why. I think the last one was just... The, I think it's this one got a little too complex with the layouts. Uh, again, going, that's true. Going, yeah, it's it's they tried to do too much. And the last one, it was very just simple, uh, you know, just line art, not a ton of backgrounds. Uh, this one tried to be a little more, you know, oomph and look what I can do and panoramas here and there with the you know, waterfall and everything else. And I don't know, I think it got a little too busy. Um, it wasn't bad art by any means, especially for, you know, the time it came out. Um, but yeah, didn't love it. I, I will say I completely agree with you, Dan. Some of this is just a little too busy. Um, I mean, you look at some of these pages, there is a lot of text. There's a lot of bubbles uh, and a lot of boxes kind of all over the place. But what I'll say, and this is kind of a, this is just kind of a personal thing, honestly, the way I read this was digitally. However, um, just to be perfectly honest this was from a scan i mean and you could tell this was a scan of an older comic um and, and for whatever reason even though i prefer like you know how i was talking in our first episode that hd crystal clear you know zoom in you can see all the details something was kind of nice about this just seeing it and i don't know maybe it's just the nostalgia factor creeping in but just Man, I don't know. Something about this 1953 just art and the story. I really dug. And we'll obviously get into this uh, when we get into specifics. But, you know, some of this story takes place in a coffin. And I really dug the kind of bluish, greenish color that they had uh, in the comic panels for, for when the story was taking place in the coffin. Um, that kind of stood out to me. But but yeah, it's definitely definitely a lot going on. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's a great point. Talking about the the exposition uh, and dialogue, there's yeah. a lot of heavy lifting done by you know not the art, the actual. It's not show me, don't tell me. It's I'm gonna tell you, and then I'll <laughs> show you a little bit. Yeah, that that's probably what a lot of it is. It, it just got too overwhelmed by just tons and tons of text all over. Yeah, yeah. 
Dan, before we dive into the episode, of course, we've got to talk about the key players of this episode. And while it's not quite as stacked as last week's episode, I mean, we're still talking about an insane amount of talent on this one as well. Yeah, small but mighty. Uh, writers, not a ton to write home about. Uh, credited writers are Terry Black. And as far as I can tell, he did Tales from the Crypt Keeper and some Silk Stockings episodes, which uh, if you're not familiar with Silk Stockings, it was a Showtime or Cinemax show uh, that was a bit uh, lurid, if you will. Um, and of course, Stephen Magnificent honkers. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> They were known for the magnificent talkers on. That's right. We we haven't got a chance to drop it in in last week's episode, so I'm trying and to find probably, a way to fit it in this one. Mm. Probably not this week either. Unfortunately, no, no, no boobs, no wangs, no butts. Damn it! Uh, and you know who can be blamed for that is the director Richard Donner. Probably a little too clean for this episode, <laughs> uh, Mister Superman himself. Uh, he also directed um, a movie called The Goonies. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Drink. 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 And speaking of the Goonies, it stars Mr. Joey Pantoliano as Ulrich. Um, again, you're, you'll know him from the Goonies as Francis. Uh, the Fratellis. One of, yeah, the Frat- one of the Fratelli brothers. Uh, also, um, most people are going to know him as Cypher from The Matrix or Teddy from Memento, but probably Cypher. Uh, he's also Caesar in Bound, which uh, if we're speaking about lurid tales from the Crip esque stories, uh, Bound is a, is a good trashy one. Everyone should check mm-hmm. that one out. Okay. Oh, you haven't seen it? I do. Oh, Preston. Letterbox, here I come. Let's see. Jennifer 90. Tilly and Gina oh, Gershon. Oh, play. 96. Okay. Yeah play a, a lesbian couple that fall in love and Jennifer Tilly is already involved with Joey pants and uh, someone's got to get rid oh, of it. Okay. Top of the watch list. We go. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, and then rounding out the notable names is Robert wool as the Barker. Uh, he is most well known for HBO's Arliss. He played Arliss himself, uh, but most people our age are going to know him as Alexander Knox in Batman. Uh, yeah co-reporter of vicky vale oh dude it was so good to see him in this and he's so good i mean as you would expect oh man that was that was a, a pleasant little surprise there yeah i when i was digging through the names i was like wow he really hasn't been in a ton for as as notable as and rememberable as he is in this and, and batman it's weird interesting yeah totally agree yeah, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but the Barker in this is hilarious. He's probably he probably edges out Joey P as my favorite character in this thing because his little gags and cutaways and snide remarks and everything always hit. They're very yeah, very good. I could I could see that. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we didn't have any quotes favorite quotes last episode because there wasn't a lot going on quote wise, but this one's got a real doozy, and he's responsible for it. <laughs> my favorite of uh, last week's episode was by the way by the way update i correct me if i'm wrong i think it was seven screams i think it was seven screams i did count those up so again let me know if i'm off but you asked all right Good to know. Thanks, Preston. Where can they let us know, Preston? Yeah. That's what I'm here for, you know. <laughs> Horrorvaultpod at gmail.com. That's right. That's right. Um, so let's talk real quick about the Crypt Keeper segment before we dive into this episode. And guys, I got to say, 
this is probably my favorite introduction of these first three episodes. Oh, it's nice. very simple. It, like it doesn't have this elaborate setup. He's not looking at the buzzing uh, lantern. He's not uh, in a creepy Santa Claus mask. But there's something about him just maneuvering, maneuvering around and setting up his table to tell yeah. us a story that I really like. With him lighting the candle and grabbing the book off the shelf, he's just a really cool puppet. And it just makes you realize how many people worked on this thing to bring the crypt keeper to life and i think it's just how active he is really stands out to me and even though it doesn't have an elaborate gag or, or you know costume or anything like that this is just a really fun one um and it kind of makes me wonder if this was originally i i forget the direct order like these were shot in i think they said all through the house was number one on that bonus feature was that right dan yeah i think it's these two and then the third one is the man who is death if i'm remembering correctly yeah it feels like this one was the first one like it's an introduction to the crypt keeper himself like to the point where even his voice sounds a little funny in those first couple seconds he's like not quite in Crypt Keeper voice. He's very grumbly and kind of weird. Um, oh, see, that, that's interesting. I thought the opposite. I thought that the voice is starting to get dialed in more to what we're used to. Listen and the, to it in the first couple seconds, specifically. Mm-hmm. Like the first maybe seven seconds that he's talking, it's a little strange. Okay. All right. I don't know. I thought the, the first episode, uh, Man Who Is Death, was the one where it was furthest from what he's better known as but yeah i'll have to give sure. it another rewatch yeah we'll we'll insert it here and you guys can let us know but yeah i just um i'm not sure if you guys agree with that but yeah i think out of these first three episodes if i was watching this debut night of hbo in june of 89 um i, I think this would have been my favorite little crypt keeper section I think there's something to that, Hunter, and you you pointed out my favorite part as well. I love him walking over to the bookshelf, grabbing that book. We, we get the shot change, him throwing it down on the table, and then blowing the dust off the top. Like something about that is just is just really awesome to me. And and as you said, I mean the puppeteering here is just perfect. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode because with a meow and a scamper. We descend upon the Big Top Carnival. The Barker, who we talked about that we love very much, leads a group of patrons into a show featuring the tragedy of death and the miracle of resurrection, the undying daredevil sideshow. Guess what? They've got a guy that can resurrect himself after killing himself. That's right. He's going to be buried alive for 12 straight hours. We see our hero. We're not fully introduced yet, but he waves goodbye locks himself in and lights a candle and this is one of my favorite little segments because we talked about how much this worked for us with the man who was deaf i think i like it even a touch more with this i love the narration throughout this episode it is so good and ulrich i i think it's it's uh joey p's portrayal in this like he is just one of those great scumbag characters. And he reminds me of somebody kind of like Howie from Uncut Gems, where you know he's just a complete scumbag and a piece of shit, but you just want to root for him. Like he is ordering sloppy steaks, is what I'm saying. Slick back hair, all white bathing suit. <laughs> yeah. Chicken exactly. chicken spaghetti at chickalinis. <laughs> you guys know what I'm saying though? Like yeah. I 
Oh. I don't know. I love greasy Italian men just Listen, in everything. <laughs> I mean, he he definitely dips his filet mignon in ketchup. I mean, there's no question <laughs> about that. He's he's that kind of guy. But this character is so intriguing to me. And and like you said, I mean, I think it's his performance that is just really really fantastic throughout the entire thing. And and I mean, in this intro, it's it's great when we're first meeting him. Yeah, I mean, Joey Pants is, like you said, Hunter, one of the all-time best scumbags in Hollywood. He's played great, great characters that you love to hate, and he's just so charming playing each of them. And hasn't he done just, like, an insane amount of productions? Isn't he, like, over 150 credits or something at this point? Wow. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the total, but digging through, I'm like, wow, this is a lot of character work, and also, like, you know, major notable names as well. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And I love, you know, we're talking about Ulrich's introduction to himself and he's going to give us the story and that setup that's there. But I like that we even get a little bit of that head to head action with the Barker before we even meet Ulrich. He is introducing us to the sideshow and welcoming us to the event. And he's speaking directly to the camera, us, the viewer. We are a willing participant and watching this man kill himself. And that's just like a big thing that I love from this episode is that, um, the the how kinetic the camera movement is through this it's like whipping and sliding and you just you feel part of the action possibly even more so like at the last episode was very very cinematic we talked about the the dean cundy work this just has a very you're in the heat of it feel and i really really like that well yeah. I, i'm I, i'm sorry dan i'll, I'll be Go super it, quick yeah. I, I was just gonna say i'm i'm so glad that you noted that and i kind of wanted to go back even even a bit before because this is yet our, our second episode in a row that at least i'm talking about the opening credits um because i love this carnival setting and we're just kind of sweeping through the different alleys and the different vendors that are set up right and uh it's just a perfect introduction to this setting and to this story and i, I really dug that once again you got the you got the music going that's that's great yeah going back to what hunter said about the the you know look and feel of this as the word i put down was frantic uh mm. it, the, the editing the the camera movements are all very just frantic and off-putting there's like weird cuts that jump back and forth in between the same words and yeah it's it's the whole thing's designed to kind of like put you on edge yeah and, you know, it's not exactly a one-to-one comparison, but what it reminded me of, probably because I just watched it a couple days ago, it reminded me of some of the editing choices that you see in music videos that were put to film, namely House of a Thousand Corpses. Like, mm-hmm. that's not a one-to-one comparison, obviously, but sure. those weird music video-esque editing sequences um, stick out here. Like there's scenes where characters laugh twice in succession or like yep. a moment rocks back and forth. And um, Dan, you mentioned the editing, but it's later on in the notes, but I'll go ahead and bring it up here. The editing transitions, like a cat and a, a little carnival effects and that sort of thing, they get really goofy with it. And I think that's the thing where I'm saying compared to the comic book, there's just this energy that isn't quite there in the comic that is here. And I think it really elevates the story. Yeah. They have those weird transition wipes that are kind of creep show esque <laughs> at some points. Yeah. It's that they're definitely strange. Yeah. And Preston, you brought it up, but I love that it's, it's so atmospheric because, you know, like we were talking about, they don't really have a full carnival for them to play with. It's just a couple of lights and stands and trailers and that sort of thing, maybe a ride or two, but they really do establish a carnival feel with so little. And you can, you can almost like smell the funnel cakes 
and the soft pretzels, Dan, and the the popcorn just like emanating from your TV screen. Yeah, super pretzels are trash pretzels, but they definitely have them there. <laughs> That's right. Um, go watch Adam Eats the 80s. We learned the secret all about Auntie Anne's pretzels on Hulu. Um, so, hey, we're given the full backstory from Ulrich. He was an alcoholic bum that was picked up off the street by Dr. Emil Manfred. We learned that Manfred has been doing experiments for a little while with CAT scans. Haha. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> um, and the cats really do have nine lives that's not just an old wives tale they really can live nine times and this is due to a special gland they have in their body and manfred the weird little freaky deaky scientist that he is he wants to put one of those on a human being they do the surgery and manfred blow ulrich's sweet ass head away to prove that it works <laughs> and after a very shaky alcoholic agreement they decide that the best way to make some cash is join the storied legacy of being a carny guys <laughs> the childhood dreams of being an alcoholic and joining the carnival has <laughs> never been better realized on the silver screen I got to say, I, I lived at literally the Ohio State Fair for nine weeks out of my life. And those carny people, are they're having a pretty good life. They're enjoying themselves. It's really the gypsy lifestyle. Like, it's kind of all we have left. You know, Hunter, some dreams do come true. You know, yeah. glad, glad we could witness it with this. We still got time. We can still do it, boys. I love the way he says, these are the tools of the profession. Like when he's just going around picking up stuff around the doctor's office. This is just a fun little scene. And it's got like this. I like the way that they make this very clinical excuse the expression, but they make it very straightforward so they can get back to the weird stuff when they get back to the carnival. It's right. a small touch, but it, it, just provides a narrative flow that I think is very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the accuracy of this whole operation you wanted to I, I have to question it because I went through a similar thing a couple months ago, but now all I want to do is keep licking my own asshole. So <laughs> I, I don't think it works. Is, uh, is your wife fine with you like spraying random, random things around the house? <laughs> I mean, it goes with the random shit on the floor. So if I'm yeah, spraying yeah. stuff in the cat Hold shit up. and it's, it, it's we live in a sty. It's all adding up for me now. It's not the cat. Stop shitting everywhere, Dan. Just stop it, okay? Get up a day like Hunter. You're going to be good to go. It's all. It's well, fine. That's right. That's just happy that she doesn't have to clean my asshole anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Beth. Oh, oh, man. All right. Let's keep going. So the two, the good doc... And Ulrich, they head over to that big top carnival and they pitch the show where Ulrich is killed in front of a live audience, but rises from the grave like our one and only Messiah. The Barker does give them a shot and their first performance is Ulrich going, he's going to bring himself back to life after he drowns in a tub of water. You know, the one traditional kind of dunk tank fare. This is just put to the next level. We meet the... Uh, bimbo assistant i guess is the best way to describe her uh cora lee and uh i just she is so good in this like she is so funny and for one of those characters that can be annoying and yes she definitely is a little annoying she is so consistently the comedy lands every single time she's kind of in a episode full of really great characters She's like right at the top of the list. It's really hard between the Barker, Ulrich, and Cora Lee to decide who I like the most because they're all so entertaining. It's like, you know, she does so much with what kind of little there is for, right? She really does, you know, like you said, stand out really well throughout. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, I love that she's asking out Ulrich as he's drowning. She she pulls the lipstick out from her bra and dinner, eat, ah, like all of that is so great. He does drown and we find out that resurrection isn't always consistent. It's not always uh, something that we can time. So it takes an hour for him to come back or excuse me, they leave him uh, drowning, soaking for an hour. He's very pruney and they drain him. But he does resurrect pretty quickly before all the patrons leave. And uh, guess what? That starts his good old carny lifestyle. And the doc, he establishes he's going to take 60% and Ulrich is going to get 40. Guys, these are the most boring carnival shows imaginable. Like, okay, cool. You get to see a guy die and, you know, whatever. You can That could be a magic trick. But the real gist of it is that he comes back to life but in order to see that you have to stand around for an hour minimum yeah some of these other ones like they transported him to the morgue and he didn't come alive until this so those people didn't even get the full show they just i don't know fucking stood around for three hours and left i I don't understand some of the the showmanship of these actual shows yeah it's like it's one thing if it's electrocution you know but it's you know for the for this one yeah i mean you're literally in a tub of water just staring at this guy right and i feel like they know that it's not a very interesting thing to watch which is why they add the comedy moment of Coralie asking him for dinner Mm -hmm. or asking him out to dinner because that kind of spices up the moment and thankfully us as a television audience we don't have to sit there for the hour but yeah dan i can just imagine you know this is before (laughs) this is before game boys and everything like that but i would definitely be like dad can we can we go home can we can we go ride the gravitron (laughs) at least can we go do something else oh i did want to point out this is where my uh my quote of the week came out uh it's from the barker and he says i hope this works because i could use the money my freaks need a new shoe (laughs) (laughs) so good so good Man, I want to make note for just a second uh, regarding this first kind of act that we get because I think Dan made a good note earlier in kind of talking about the budget a little bit um, because in the comic, he actually goes over the Niagara Falls without a barrel. um, And that's how he actually dies, uh, you know, the first time other than being shot um, in the story. So it's kind of interesting that they replace Niagara Falls with a tub of water but you know i get it we would totally see that nowadays and it would look like cgi shit but oh yeah you're right you're right it definitely would i'm just imagining that clip from mac and me but they just edited it to them going <laughs> off falls <laughs> instead yes. um i love that he's like speed it up speed it up um in this and then you get the little gags of the water coming out of the stethoscope that i think is funny yeah when he's like checking his heart rate through the tank. Um, and then the whole resurrection um, works for me as well. I think this episode is just very funny and not everything works, but a good 95% of it works for me. So this is probably one of the, the funniest episodes of tales from the crypt, but it's still got just enough of that. It's not creepy at all, but enough of that macabre energy where it feels in line with the two episodes that preceded it. I I think it's just a great story. I mean, I think it's a great story with great characters and great performances. And we'll kind of hit on that later when we're, you know, grading the episode itself. But, but yeah, I mean, it's very simplistic. Um, You know, it's not the most overly, you know, action packed, exciting, 
you know, episode, but between its twists and, and like I said, these great performances we get, you know, I think that's enough. We cut to Ulrich performing his next stunt. He's going to do a live hanging in full uh, cowboy gear in front of that sold-out crown. He hangs himself, but he does come to life. He's, he resurrects while he's still dangling. And you know what? This is another huge success, obviously. Like I said, sold-out crowd. The doctor takes his normal cut, and then Ulrich starts thinking. He's like, hey, I'm not making as much money as I could be. Uh, you know, I need to I need to boost my take. 40% not nearly enough. I was a bum. I need to live out my alcoholic dreams. Um I've got a girlfriend, not much is riding upstairs, but downstairs is what counts. <laughs> I've got to level things up. So, one night he crashes his car going a 100. Um and while the doctor is killed, Ulrich he does walk away, but he is down another life. So, yeah. We see the death of the doctor, uh, but Ulrich, he's used a life, but now he's going to get a much bigger cut, which we find out just a little bit later. He's making a good 80% now, so maybe this was the way to go. Do you think the doctor realized the twist beforehand, or was he dumb too? <laughs> like, if the, if he had kept the doctor around, would would he have said, okay, well, this is your last one, or? I think he knew. I feel like, I feel like the doctor would know how many lives he has left. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. He seems pretty crazy, though. I don't know. He does, but I feel like he's researched this. You know, he's put his entire life savings into it. I feel like he would know that the cat counts. Plus, he talks about how he's seen, you know, unfortunately, numerous cats die while doing his experiments. I think I think he's got a good idea. I feel like that nine, he would count the cat. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll take it. I do like Ulrich's smoker voice from the crushed windpipe when he's walking out and he's collecting his share. And a uh, fun little note, I love that Coralie calls his dick Mr. Friendly. Um, <laughs> and she says goodbye to it at one point. Too. <laughs> yes, after she stabs him, she goes, goodbye, Mr. Friendly. <laughs> <laughs> she likes his dick more than he does. More than she likes him. <sighs> Don't we know it? <laughs> Haven't we all been there? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, he keeps on doing his uh, his his deadly acts. He's now, of course, taking the full share. He does two more stunts, but the uh, the first one is that a lucky raffle winner is the one that gets to pull the switch that fries his ass. Niles Talbot, you would have loved this, guys. The little old lady, the speech dedication, the guy yelling out, "Shut up and cook him." <laughs> the the lady yelling, you bet your ass I'm ready. And then the guy in the background going, go for it, grandma. I love that old lady's little dance she did too. She was yes. so excited. Oh, she's like, she's jig. playing bingo. This is the time of her life. <laughs> oh, so good. I also love that you can actually see that Ulrich does retain battle damage. You can actually see his scars develop through each one of these. Um yeah. So, yeah, when you look at his face, he gets little marks and little cuts and bruises and that sort of thing. And you can start to see the the toll that it's taking on his body. So the other stunt that he performs during all this, um, the spectators, or excuse me, let, let me bring up this point first. Um, so after the electrocution stunt, we brought up earlier that resurrection is kind of a, a touchy subject. You don't always know when you're coming back to life. And this is the one where he's taken to the morgue 
And that's where he hands it all off to Cora Lee to handle his post-death arrangements from there going forward. I like that all the journalists have followed him to the morgue and presumably a couple of the people that were at the show that are ready to get a refund. <laughs> he doesn't come back. It's a funny moment. Why aren't these coroners eating? Don't they know that all TV coroners and movie coroners have to be eating a sandwich? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's fair. We're trying yeah. to get it on a la Friday the 13th part four. One or the two. Yeah. Yeah. Either you know, fucking yeah. or eating. To Dan's point, I, I wonder if uh, our spectators maybe got a little refund action considering, uh, you know, they never got to see the stunt through. Yeah, I don't no. think everyone went to the, the morgue. I think most people probably left. Yeah, like, I feel like these, I feel like they've got a no refund policy. It's like, hey, even <laughs> if he doesn't come back, you got to see a man die. That's what That's you're right. here for. Yeah. That's right. No refunds. It's uh, <laughs> the ticket master <laughs> situation. It's, it's the small writing. All right. Yeah, it's, it's in the small print. Yeah. But the more amusing death and possibly the one that takes up the most time, or at least it seems like it is, um, they're doing the elaborate shoot a crossbow at me. It's going to be fun <laughs> routine. <laughs> you know, the one that you can see at all your local carnivals. Yeah, I love that um, one. This one is really great. You get a lot of little moments with the hit me, hit me. Blah, blah, blah. And then um, what's the quote? What's a thousand dollars when you can kill a real human being? <laughs> uh, That's pretty good. Yeah. You've got the man berating his son. You've got uh, the nerd who takes off his glasses and completely misses. I love that the guy who does finally take him out, his identification is that he was a state archery champion card. <laughs> like that's what he pulls out to prove yes. that he's he's up to the task. Did you catch the nerd's name? Like they imply that that, der- that nerd's name is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like he reads, he reads the, that he looks at the ID and he goes, Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. It's like, wait, is, is that that guy's name? That's weird. Do you, do you think it's like a McLovin thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this fake ID so he could go kill this dude at the fair. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the guy that ends up actually, you know, committing the act, there, there was no doubt from my man. I mean, he's like, Yo, get out of the way. I got this. Oh, he's, yeah. He, he says he's been killing people for years. That's right. <laughs> I want to know what he does for a living. I want that backstory. Like, yeah, is, right? Like, Sony, get on it. You keep making these weird spinoffs. Like, um, you should have made him the Craven the Hunter movie that you're currently <laughs> I want to see. <laughs> I want to see this guy at his, his hunting experiences. Um, I will say $1,000, obviously a ton of money today, but I looked it up. That's something like $2,500 today. People were putting down some fucking cash <laughs> to kill this man. <laughs> To miss a lot of them. Yeah, I know. Like I would have only gone up there if I knew (laughs) that I was going to do it. Right. (laughs) But then also I love that the guy's like, all right, what do I win? And the Barker grabs the arrow for him. And then he's like, Oh my God. Like he just pulled Excalibur out of the stone. Like it's (laughs) a huge moment for him. Everyone's into it. Like he's holding up the the grail or something like, Oh yeah. 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 It's like a here is my boomstick moment for sure. But it's <laughs> yeah. it's this guy who you know definitely golfs. He's got a funny little beard, so he's probably yelled at somebody at Walgreens in the last two weeks. Yeah, he, he blusters a lot in public and at work. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can just tell. Goofy pants and a fat ass. You know he golfs. Come on. <laughs> my time. Hey, wait woman. a minute. Um, <laughs> So the carnival at this point, they've made a ton of money and Cora Lee and Ulrich decided to take a vacation. They're going to the Bahamas. They're going to Paris and Cora Lee's like, 
oh, I, I think I'm going to go by myself. And she stabs his ass. And this is where one of those funny little rock back editing moments that I brought up earlier. Um, so she does fatally stab him and then runs out with all of his money. Thankfully, it doesn't take him too long. He comes to, he comes back to life. But that's another life down. And God damn it, Coralie, he just got news that Polanski <laughs> wanted to adapt his life story and you go and do this to him. She gets greedy. Dude, I loved her and that cop. Like the cop counting yes. all that money. That was that was great. She's uh what is it? He's like, this is more than I make in a year. Yeah. And she's like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, it's it's something silly, but it was like, you're welcome, or something like right. that. I didn't write it down, but it was a really funny little moment. Um, <laughs> her reading the note where it was like, I have an arrangement with the deceased on, on the note card. <laughs> so you know what? Ulrich, he's down on his luck, man. He's left with no money and only two lives left. Or so he thinks he wants to do one more show, but he wants all of the profits. So he's going to kind of uh well, not even kind of, he blackmails the Barker and says, Hey, what if I don't show up? What if I pull a no-show? You're going to get nothing from this. He does give Ulrich the full cut, and Ulrich laughs, and he's like, I should have asked for corn dog concessions. <laughs> and I wrote that down, because if I'm ever in this situation, I'm going to make sure to ask for a cut of the corn dog concessions. The corn dogs are the money dogs at the fair, guaranteed. Oh, yeah. Big old, <laughs> big old fried glizzies. That's what it's all about. <laughs> So we've we finally come full circle. The final stunt is going to be that coffin scene from the beginning. And he's just ready. You know, he might not have as much money as he did, but this is his biggest stunt ever. It's the the finale tour. It's Kiss breaking up in 96 or whenever the fuck that was. 98. Who fucking knows? Um, and he's like, look, I've made enough cash. Everything is going to be awesome. But then he panics. Like Dan said, the cat died for him to get that gland, meaning he only had eight lives to start, and this is his last one. He absolutely panics and begs to be let out, and even though the gravediggers can hear him, he's just mistaken for a common cat that roams the carnival. And we hear Ulrich take his last couple of gasps of breath. He's dead, and in a fitting little moment, an adorable little black kitty rests upon his coffin, and that is the end of Ulrich the undying guys the reaction he makes to realizing he fucked up is incredible it's yes. so good when he panics in that yeah. coffin it's just, my just the flashes yeah just little flashes across mm -hmm. his face and then cutting to the actual death yeah very nice yeah I, I love this twist man i loved it when it hit in the comic um, I mean, he, this is such a great performance, as we've mentioned. Yeah, like I said, this is my favorite moment of the episode, him coming to that realization and the, oh, shit, coming across him. Yeah, and if you haven't watched this episode for a while or if you watched it for the first time in preparation for this episode, this is a really good twist because you're yeah. probably not thinking about it yourself either. You're like, okay, he's got nine lives. And while watching the episode, at least if you're nerds like the three of us, you're yeah. keeping count where you're like, okay, well, he's <laughs> he's done this, he's done this. What is he forgetting? Is he forgetting the car crash? Is he forgetting him getting stabbed? But he's keeping count of those. He's not a dumb character. He's done very good as far as like keeping track of everything, but he's a gambler and he gambled too far. He pushed his luck and he struck out. He lost everything. 
And I think it's just that simple miscalculation that makes the story so good. I 100% have them written down at the top of my page to, to keep track of how he died each time so I could double check and make sure that they did the math correctly. And they did. Good job, everyone. Uh, well done. Also, this is the most boring of the acts that he's done so far. Like, I say that the, the arrow was better. The electrocution would have been better. This one, you literally just see, get to see a casket lowered into the ground. You don't even get to see the dude die. Yeah, I agree. It should have been like the firing <laughs> squad or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And it just <laughs> doesn't come chair. Yeah. yeah. But overall, I really love this ending. Just the way that it comes together is very, very satisfying. And while I really like the rest of the episode, I really, really like it. The ending of this is like that perfect EC comic twist ending. Like it's the perfect summation of all of that. And it just, mm, it, it tickles the funny part of my brain, Preston. Man, and this kind of reminds me to go back a little bit of our first episode where, you know, we see him absolutely panicking inside that casket. It kind of reminds me of our of our boy getting dragged to the electric chair, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of finally yeah. seeing his ultimate fate being decided, you know? Um, it's a, it's kind, of, kind of an interesting... Uh, situation there but yeah man this this twist is the best and i know i mean i'm sure all these episodes are to a degree but i know this is a a pretty big fan favorite yeah this is one of the other ones that definitely stood out in my mind when i was you know trying to remember what episodes were what and uh Mm -hmm. this still hit pretty good let's talk real quick about the closing crypt keeper moments because he is just a pun machine in these yes. moments. I like that we get to see the cute little kitty yes, at the, the end kitty. just resting and the Crypt Keeper petting it. It's like, that's adorable. I'm all over that. This is great. It's not as good as the opening Crypt Keeper segment, but it's still really cute. But the pun machine, he is just a machine gun firing off. Though Dying for Dollars could have been a popular game show, they could have put it in between Wheel of Misfortune and the newly dead game, unless they buried it in the wrong time slot. This feels like when the Crypt Keeper really comes together. Um, and, I, you know, it's been a while since I've watched the following three episodes in this season, so I'm wondering if they maintain that momentum going forward after this, but this feels like we're really seeing classic Crypt Keeper coming together. That buried in the wrong time slot totally feels like a dig at HBO and someone's past with them as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, mm, I wrote whatever fucking show that whoever wrote and you, it's a failure because you put it at nine thirty on a Saturday instead of <laughs> ten right. o'clock. Yeah, and and it was, shout out to HBO. We get a little HBO reference in the middle of the episode too because when the Barker comes up and he's like, "Here's the profits," with a little bit of side bet and your, I it's I don't think he says pay per view, but basically the the pay per view event that was on HBO. He gets a little bit of cash <laughs> for that, which I think is great. But yeah, a couple little HBO digs there. Well, that's what HBO really first started as, right? It was like uh, mostly boxing as a home box office. So it was like yeah. movies and sporting. Sure. Like, it, it was meant to be an event kind of thing. So oh, yeah, yeah. It, it makes sense that they would put live executions on there. That's fun. All right. Well, that brings us to the episode, or, or excuse me, the end of this episode, Dig That Cat. He's Real Gone, which is just a funny title it's like a really interesting name for an episode um i guess it makes sense i'm fine with it it's just a weirdie <laughs> it's just an oddball it sounds um, like a sammy davis jr song right <laughs> he's real gone man 
<laughs> Your grandmother goes wild for this one. <laughs> oh, hey, question. Do we want to do a favorite quote? I did I, not. Well, Dan, Dan brought up his, but if you've got one, please yeah. hit me with it. I, I do actually have one. Um, so this is with Coralie and Ulrich. And this one just stood out. I, I love this. This is about halfway through the episode, you know, as, as we're progressing along. And she asked, how you feeling? You know, and this is shortly after he's reawoken. And I just love this quote. Baby, this dying shit has taken years off my life. I, <laughs> I, I love that. That one stood out to me for sure. That's pretty good too, yeah. Hunter, you dropped a couple, right? You, you got yours in? Yeah, I don't know if any of them were like my ultimate favorite, but I fit in some good stuff in there that I'm comfortable, you know, writing off on that. Preston, why don't you go ahead and give us your final thoughts and your severed thumb ranking? Oh, man, this one's so tough uh, because I really love this episode. And I'm, you know, based on my rankings of previous episodes, trying to trying to stack this one up is really difficult. But I think the performances really really lead this episode for me between Robert Wool and um, I'm sorry, guys, how do you pronounce Joe's last name? Pantoliano. Pantoliano. Okay. Sure. Between Robert, between Robert Wool and, and Joe Pantoliano and, and Kathleen York, obviously is Corley. We talked a lot about her and her limited role, how much she stands out. Uh, they really just drive this. And then between the story and the twist, oh, I am going to go. A very solid four severed thumbs out of five on this one. I, uh, I I'm pretty comfortable with that ranking. I, I will say, Dan. Yeah. So the like you said, the the twist and the performances are all top notch. Fours and fives across the board. I do have an issue with how kind of aged it feels. There's something whether it's because it's shot on video or uh, it's just something off of the, the the editing. And like I said, it was kind of frantic. And I know that that's a choice, but it feels a little bit dated. Uh, so I have to knock a little bit off of that. So I'm going to do a three and a half severed thumbs. Wow. We're probably the widest spread on this one um, because this is actually a 4.5 for me, which I know is high. Um, it's the same rating that I gave the last one, but I really enjoy a carnival aesthetic. Um, I really enjoy kind of the, the cat tie in here. And I just think it's very funny. It's very amusing. I love the twist that comes together at the end. And this one is definitely, I understand your complaints um, that you both brought up, but there's just something about the aesthetic of it that calls to me that hits me in a really great place. And I know this is some people's favorite episodes of all time. I can't, in my heart, I want to give this a five, but I just, I can't boost it that high, but I am going to give it the 0.5 knuckle thumb advantage or the cross section <laughs> in Dan's case. I'm going to give it just a little bit of a heads up because I do really, really like this one and I have a blast watching it. And I think this is one that when you were showing people Tales from the Crypt for the first time that maybe haven't watched it in a long time or maybe haven't watched it at all, this is one of those twists that can really work for people and they'll have a memorable experience with it. Um, so yeah, for those reasons, uh, personal bias included, I'm at a 4.5. And I will say, any fans out there that also like gross, gritty, nasty people in a carnival, uh, check out Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Uh, I feel oh, that one's a little yeah. underseen. It definitely is not the same tone as this. It's much darker, but it is, it'll it'll uh, it'll scratch that itch for you. 
I, I was going to say that. Toby Hooper's Funhouse. Oh, Funhouse oh, is good too. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Doing both different double than, feature. Yeah, both <laughs> of these are very. And actually, um, not to go too far off topic, but believe it or not, my favorite season of uh, American Horror Story is actually Freak Show because of the carnival. I got another one to drop on you. On. Yeah. Uh, episode of X Files called uh, Humbug is uh, based on a carnival and a freak show, and it is fantastic. It the Barker in that is Jim Rose, who is a famous punk rock freak show guy from like the nineties, uh, and he is a very similar to the Barker in this. I tried to figure out who came first because one of them had to be influenced by the other, but it appears that they both popped up at around the same time. So check out X-Files Humbug and the Jim Rose Sideshow. Check it out. This is a fun idea. I like doing kind of suggestions. Preston, did you have anything you wanted to throw out for carnivals? Oh, shit, man. I Preston, think what's guys... your favorite carnival? Tell me. <laughs> tell me what your favorite carnival is now. D- definitely not my local fair. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I, I, I tend to st- stay as far away as possible. Oh, yeah? That. You like carnivals? Name three local carnivals, <laughs> Preston. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm i'm with you guys man i i adore um nightmare alley man i think that was absolutely fantastic and like you said dan completely like underseen in my opinion and i i don't know i also felt like the reviews for that were really weird upon its release so yeah if you haven't seen that uh really really great stuff for sure <laughs> It's a dark as fuck story that came out like two days before Christmas. So yeah, it was a uh, bad running on their part. And finally, if you want to watch something that really ties into this, watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Mm. <laughs> we all love that. <laughs> yeah, of course we do. Uh, that last one's a joke, but hopefully you find something good to watch in there. And hopefully you enjoyed it, this episode of Horrors from the Vault. Like I said, this is one of my favorites. And uh, I'm just so glad we got a chance to talk about it. And it sounds it's great that the other guys enjoyed it, too. But hey, let's go ahead and get out of here. Preston, dude. Thanks for being here tonight. If the folks want to keep up with you when you are not being petrified, Preston, being one of the creeps in the vault, where can people keep up with you? Well, I wouldn't miss being here uh, for the world, my dudes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Keep up with me over on Letterboxd. That's where we're having fun these days, man. Uh, at Preston967 is the username. You can find me on Twitter as well. Facebook, Preston Green. I'm around those parts. So yeah, hang out with us, guys devilish dan thanks for being here tonight in the vaults i'm gonna leave you last i'm gonna turn off all the candles so i can listen to you kind of uh turn off i'm gonna i'm gonna put out <laughs> all the candles that they're led we're energy efficient I'm, regardless all the candles are going out i want to hear you stumble and fall all over the place <laughs> that's, that's as we what I'm like, him just stumbling and, and, and falling everywhere yeah yeah that big spiral staircase that we see in the opening <laughs> Are you leaving me for last year? I'm going to go yeah. now. No, no, no. I, I want to, that's, that's a reaction. That is kind of the voice that I would expect to hear when I've left you down there by yourself. It's um, dark. Hello? Yeah. Hello? I Hi. can't see you. Uh, if anyone knows how to get out of here, uh, you can find me at uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, not Facebook. I'm private on there. Don't look up. Don't look there. I'm, I'm, I'm a mystery. Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, all the good shit at Red Right Dan. If you want to reach out to the pod itself, we are on all those places at Horror Vault Pod as well as at Gmail uh, at HorrorVaultPod at gmail.com. Write us a little email. Tell us your favorite carnival and where it's at and how many people you saw shit on the ground there. Enjoy. That's right. 
And hey, Goonies, get another shot in. Goonies. Um, <laughs> Goonies. Shit, I'm um, out of beer over here. <laughs> if you want to keep up with me, the best place to do that actually is on Letterboxd. You can find me at Discount Vincent Price on that and Instagram. But more importantly, make sure you're following the show here from Horrors from the Vault. This is our first weekly episode. We don't quite have an upload schedule set just yet. We're going to have to see what days people like but we are going to get these out weekly for you guys so hopefully you enjoy that you can also find me on grim grinning host a pop culture slash theme park podcast the catacombs of halloween horror nights podcast where we just reviewed hhn 32 in full featuring a carnival with mr dr Oddfellow. we'll tell you all about that on that episode and then finally mr and dr that's right. <laughs> Mr. Dr. Oddfellow. <laughs> I'm going to go get my butthole misted in a minute. Um, <laughs> you can also find me on Disorder Every Disney Film. And then finally, thank you to the NeoZaz Podcast Network for hosting us. Go check out the other shows on the network. And then make sure, like always, if you love the music, to go check out Pangolin at Pangolin FL. Gary Pounds killed our intro. He is the singer slash guitarist. And uh, boy, do they have some bangers. This has been Horrors from the Vault. Thank you again for listening. Stay creepy. Um, imagine Dan looking like a little cartoon Mickey Mouse in the dark with his eyes trying to look around. He's real scared right now. Crypt Keeper, let's get out of here. Oh, but he's so cute. <laughs> when, when Dan's licking his butthole? Damn it. <laughs> Preston's, we're talking and Preston's over here liking shit on Twitter.